Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about remembering the difference between the words loose and lose. A diversion about the phrase loose as a goose and how it leads to Chicken Little and Goldilocks. And a meaty middle about phrases like you idiot and you genius. Let's start with loose and lose. People often ask me to help them remember the difference between the words loose and lose. And I confess that I see the wrong spellings so often that I sometimes have to remind myself which is which. I mean, I know that loose with two O's means not tight, and lose with one O means the opposite of win. But when you see them mixed up so often, you start to wonder what people really mean. Here's my memory trick if you're having trouble spelling loose and lose. Think of the phrase loose as a goose. It means relaxed or cool, but how it helps you is that everyone seems to be able to remember that goose has two O's. And voila, loose, which you're using in the saying loose as a goose, also has two O's. And then you can just remember that lose is the other one. You want it to lose that extra O so it becomes the right spelling. Remember that trick and you'll be relaxed and cool. Loose as a goose, you might say. And you'll get those spellings right. Also, if you've been listening to this podcast for long, you won't be surprised to hear that I became curious about the origin of the phrase, loose as a goose, and started doing some research. I mean, that's weird, right? Why would a goose be loose? The oldest example I could find was in a book of North Carolina folk sayings from 1930. Actually, it was a book from 1952 called The Frank C. Brown Collection of North Carolina Folklore, Games and Rhymes, Beliefs and Customs, Riddles, Proverbs, Speech, Tales, and Legends that referred to another book from 1930 that used the loose as a goose saying. But still, 1930. That book didn't explain the origin, and I started thinking it might be related to the phrase loosey-goosey, which also means relaxed or maybe disorganized or chaotic. The oldest reference to loosey-goosey I could find was from 1943, so after loose as a goose. But then I discovered that goose loose and goosey-loosey go back much, much farther. 
Goose Loose was a character in the story of Chicken Little of The Sky is Falling fame. Most of the characters in that folk tale had names that rhymed. There was Henny Penny, Ducky Lucky, Foxy Loxy, and so on. And in some accounts, Chicken Little was even called Chicken Lickin. In one of the earliest English tellings, The Remarkable Story of Chicken Little by John Green Chandler in 1840, the character was Goose Loose. And then later they all got their EY endings and Goose Loose became Goosey Lucy. But also in some cases, Goosey Pussy. Goosey Pussy with a P. Hinting that the rhyming was more important than the meaning. Around the same time, in the book The Doctor, Etc., which is a prose collection by the English poet Robert Salve, also from the early 1800s, there's a character called Goosey Lucy. I can't tell if this was published a few years before or a few years after the Chicken Little story, because the book was originally published in volumes between 1834 and 1847, and the Goosey Lucy character shows up about halfway through the book. Salve didn't tell the Chicken Little story itself. Instead, he used the Chicken Little characters in a humorous piece about whether Aristotle's assertion that animals benefit from their connection with man is true. Since Salve lived in Britain and John Green Chandler lived in America, it seems unlikely they'd have been aware of each other's work published so close to the same time. Chandler was clearly translating an earlier folktale published in Danish, and perhaps Southe knew of the Danish source too. Or maybe he did see Chandler's translation of Chicken Little. I just can't tell. If you're a folklore scholar who does know, please let me know because I'm really curious now. Regardless, Goosey Lucy seemed to be getting around in 1840. But the biggest reason I'm telling you about Southey is that while reading about The Doctor, etc., his book, I discovered that it also contains the original printing of the Goldilocks story, which was titled The Story of Three Bears. This was also an adaptation of an older oral legend, and I thought it was pretty fun to find a connection between Loose as a Goose, Chicken Little, and Goldilocks. As for the actual origin of the phrase Loose as a Goose, The American Dictionary of Slang is the only credible source I could find, and it says, and I quote, It's probably from the rhyme and the perception that a goose has loose bowels. Wow, okay then. So that was a long detour on the way to your quick and dirty tip. When you're trying to remember how to spell loose and lose, think of the phrase loose as a goose, and remember that both loose and goose have two O's. You can also think of those two O's as the big eyes on a goose that they see with, that they look like big round O's, two of them. So I hope that helps, and I hope you enjoyed the detour as much as I did too. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules 
only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life, well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. And now, on to the meaty middle. A listener named Corgan Riviera writes, I've been listening to Grammar Girl for a long time, but can't recall this question being answered before. In sentences like, What's wrong with you, you idiot? Or, You genius, you solved it! What is the word you doing in those sentences? In the you idiot and the you genius part? This is a great question, and Corgan's right. We haven't answered it before. For the rest of this episode, for the examples of this construction, I'm going to use the word wazik, which is a British English word Ben Zimmer mentioned earlier this year in an episode of the Lexicon Valley podcast. In that episode, which I'll link to in the transcript, lexicographer Zimmer quotes an article from The Guardian, which says that wazik is, quote, one of a number of faintly limp insults that are more often used ironically than in serious. Unquote. And then it can, quote, be used on the telly without frightening your gran, unquote. We need a word to refer to expressions like uwazik. There isn't a settled terminology for them yet, so I'm going to call them evaluative phrases. The question of what you is doing in these evaluative phrases is actually two questions. First is the more specific question of what part of speech you is. And second is the more general question of exactly what kind of thing an evaluative phrase is. Is it a sentence, an interjection, or what? Well, the Cambridge Grammar of the English Language argues that it's in the same category as words such as the definite articles, a and the, and words such as this, that, every, and some. Syntacticians call these words determiners— There are different categories of determiners. For example, the and a are articles, and this and that are demonstrative determiners. You is a personal determiner. The only other personal determiners in English are we and us, as in we snails have to stick together, 
and everybody loves us aardvarks. If you're a longtime listener, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, but Grammar Girl, in episode 288, you said that in compound nouns such as gumball, gum isn't an adjective. It's a noun that modifies another noun. So why can't we just say that you, we, and us are pronouns that are acting like determiners? Well, that's a good point. On the other hand, in a sentence like, Aardvark booked the flight, we don't say that book is a noun that's acting like a verb. We say that it actually is a verb. So what's the difference? Why can't we just say that the you in uwazak is still a pronoun, even though it happens to be doing the job of a determiner? The truth is that it's not always an easy call to make. We say the gum in gumball is a noun, because aside from modifying the word ball, it doesn't have any of the other properties that a typical adjective has. We can't talk about our gumballs, gummer balls, and gummest balls of all. We don't stand in front of a candy rack and say, let's see, I'm in the mood for something gum. But it's safe to say that book is truly a verb because it can do everything a typical verb can do. You can put it in any tense you want to. We put it in the past tense in aardvark booked the flight. You can also turn it into a gerund or present participle by adding the suffix ing. For example, aardvark is booking the flight. With that in mind, there are two reasons we call you, we, and us determiners when they introduce nouns. First, they actually behave in at least two ways like a subset of determiners called definite determiners. For one thing, as the Cambridge Grammar notes, definite determiners can come right after the word all. So you can say all the zombies, all those zombies, and all my zombies. And so can the words you, we, and us. You can say all you zombies, all we zombies, and all us zombies. Here's the second way that you, we, and us pattern like definite determiners. If a noun phrase begins with many of, some of, all of, or some other determiner followed by of, the next word had better be a definite determiner. It can't just be a plural noun. Phrases like all of zombies are not grammatical. But phrases like all the zombies, some of these zombies, and a few of my zombies are fine. As are many of you zombies, and a few of us zombies. The second reason to call you, we, and us determiners when they introduce nouns is a theoretical consideration. If we say that personal pronouns in general can act as determiners, then we have to have extra rules to say why the only ones that actually do it are you, we, and us. On the other hand, if we just say that you, we, and us got reinterpreted somewhere along the line so that they're now determiners in addition to being pronouns, we don't have to explain why this never happened to other pronouns. It just didn't, and that's all there is to it, just like not every noun has gotten turned into a verb. Other pronouns could conceivably join the club, and maybe they will someday. In fact, the pronoun them has done just that, in non-standard dialects, where phrases such as, look at all them ducks, are grammatical. 
However, the Cambridge grammar overlooks some differences between you and other personal determiners. First of all, you wasic can stand alone as a complete thought. In fact, you can't use it as a subject or an object in a sentence. A sentence like, you wasic need to grow up, is ungrammatical. So is, I told you wasic to leave. The pattern is flipped when we consider we and us. Unlike you, Wazik, phrases like we snails or us aardvarks can't stand alone, unless they're answering a question. And whereas you, Wazik, can't be the subject or object of a sentence, we snails or us aardvarks must be, as in we snails have to stick together, or everybody loves us aardvarks. Meanwhile, plural you can go either way. You, Wazik's is grammatical all by itself, and so is the sentence, you Wazics need to grow up. So it looks like the personal determiners are all plural, we, us, and plural you. As for the you in evaluative phrases, it can be singular or plural. Another difference between you, we, and us as personal determiners and the you in evaluative phrases involves that test involving the word all that we talked about earlier. Let's take the phrase you wazics. It can stand on its own as an evaluative phrase. But if we put an all in front of it, as in all you wazics, now it can't stand on its own anymore. Now it has to be part of a sentence to be grammatical. So what's the answer? Is the you in evaluative phrases like you wazik or you wazics a determiner, or a pronoun? We don't know. And as an aside, this kind of problem came up when we were making our iOS game Grammar Pop. In that game, you match words with their part of speech. And we had to throw out some sentences because when forced to categorize certain words, we couldn't. Sometimes English just isn't as neat and tidy as we'd like it to be. Now, let's move on to the more general question of what kind of construction these evaluative phrases are. In fact, linguists don't have a definitive answer for this, either. Some linguists consider them to be vocative phrases. In other words, they're just another kind of phrase you could use to address someone, similar to personal names, terms of endearment, and kinship terms, such as mom or daddy. This is also the view taken in the Cambridge Grammar, as well as in a paper by Dutch linguist Norbert Korver, who analyzes these expressions in several Germanic and Romance languages. However, it's not the view of linguists Christopher Potts and Tom Roper. In their paper, they note that, for one thing, you can put things that are unquestionably vocative expressions in the same utterance with you wazik, and it works. For example, Fenster, you wazik! Second, the noun in expressions like you wazik always carries some evaluation. But this isn't the case for true vocatives. For example, you can address a member of the police force as officer, but the expression you officer doesn't make sense. I would also add that in addition to saying you wazik, you can also say that wazik and those waziks when you learn that someone has been a wazik and those clearly are not vocative phrases. You could even say the wazik 
as a complete thought when someone tells you about someone else's outrageous wazikery. Incidentally, these facts also favor the classification of you as a determiner, because it's patterning together with the determiners that, those, and the. But I'm not opening that can of worms again. If Potts and Roper don't think evaluative phrases are vocatives, what do they think? They call these phrases expressive small clauses and argue that they're a piece of early childhood grammar that survives into our adult grammars. They begin with the well-known fact that when children are acquiring language, they go through a two-word phase when utterances are at most two words long. As a result, this one-of-a-kind structure has to cover all the kinds of thoughts a child might express. But as the child acquires more and more complex grammar structures, these structures take over more and more of the jobs that were formerly done by the two-word phrase. Potts and Roper use the example of mommy milk. In a child's early grammar, this could mean mommy's milk, or that mommy has milk, or maybe that mommy drinks milk. Later, though, after the child can say mommy drinks milk, they won't use mommy milk to express that thought anymore. For formal semantic reasons that I won't go into, they argue that the meaning of these expressive small clauses is incompatible with structures that are more complex than just two words, so they survive unchanged into our adult grammars. Potts and Roper argue that this is why, not only in English, but all other language they investigated, these expressions never contain verbs. Mommy milk. You wazik. No verbs. Potts and Roper's analysis requires that you be a pronoun, which fits nicely with some of the data, but there are still some loose ends. One problem with their analysis is that it also predicts that phrases such as squiggly wazik should be acceptable evaluative phrases, which they're not. It also doesn't take into account evaluative phrases such as that wazik, because that isn't a pronoun. Well, okay, it is a pronoun, a demonstrative pronoun. However, when you use that as a pronoun, it means more or less that thing, whereas in a phrase like that wazik, it's referring to a person. So to sum up what we know about evaluative phrases such as you wazik, the you could be a pronoun, or it could be a determiner. And the best analysis we have so far is that the entire phrase is a kind of living fossil preserved from the language of our childhood. That segment was written by Neil Whitman, an independent researcher and writer on language and grammar. He blogs at literalminded.wordpress.com and tweets at literalminded. A quick thanks this week to some listeners who let me know where they listen. Pete posted a picture of himself on a riding mower in his backyard and says podcasts make yard work a breeze. The eBay Life blog sent greetings from Chico, California, and Mary posted a picture of her base all the way from Kandahar and said Grammar Girl makes her deployment go faster. She wins the Halfway Around the World Award this week. Thanks to all of you for sharing. You are the opposite of Wazix. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl, and you can find all my articles at quickanddirtytips.com. Wherever you're listening, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, or YouTube, or somewhere else, please subscribe. That's all. Thanks for listening. 
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.